Hello, you're listening to the Consequential Podcast. With me today, as always, Roger. Say no to English wine, kids. Lucy. My whole body hurts. We're so old. We're so very old. We're not doing good today, are we? I can I can only apologise as well for the sort of repeated battering sounds that you're going to hear throughout this podcast. Um, this is going to sound like an alibi, but it is in fact incredibly windy outside, uh, as though we have angered the old gods and a whole load of shit and detritus is being thrown against the 10-foot-high windows that make up the uh, make up the walls of our impromptu studio. So if you hear anything, a sort of light thudding sound or anything like that, it is the wind and not me savagely beating Roger. It's the beating of Shelto Hard. Yes. Yeah. Oh! What? That was bad. What? I thought that was quite impressive. Thanks! Not only... Not only is it a literary reference, the sort of thing for which we are so beloved, um, but it's a pun on your surname, Hart, which is your name. Yeah, and I do deserve to be roundly beaten. You do. What have you read? Nothing. What tales have you told? Lucy, what have you read? I read Chainmail Bikini. Which was the Kickstarter Games collection yes, thing. Yes, it was an anthology of comics by women gamers. And how was it? It was really good. I really enjoyed it. This is one that, is it Julia Sheila organised this one? I don't think so. Was she involved? I don't know. I Maybe she was just shouting about it a lot. She's involved in everything that's an anthology that women do. Why was it good? Why did you like it? Tell us. Okay, so it represented lots of different types of gaming. It wasn't just video games. There was um, sort of tabletop, <laughs> pen and paper RPG, LARPing, card games, just sort of all sorts of experiences. Um... RPGs were a really big theme, a lot of ladies like those, and the sort of escapism of that was also um, a pretty common theme. Plus they're also quite often a little bit more progressive in representation of actual fucking human beings. That's true. Yeah, do you see the Dragon Age issue of, or episode, or what you want to call it, of Ojo Sex Play? No, because I didn't want spoilers for Inquisition. Oh, right, there are some mild spoilers. Which I have not yet found myself capable of shelling out 50 quid for, but I plan to fairly soon. Something that might intrigue you both on, on Odroy Sex Toy is that there, in this one uh, there is a picture of a Pokemon going by the name Vulvasaur. So yeah, you'll enjoy that. Yeah, You might enjoy ruining your boyfriend's life with it. Yeah. Yeah. They're um, kickstarting a second volume at the moment as well. So it was Hazel Hazel Newlevent. I apologise. Sorry, old Odro Sex Story, not off Shame Up Yes. Uh, they are. I think that's in its final days. So if you want to book... Funding, didn't it? Uh, it def- oh, it, way, it hit funding weeks ago. It's just now, if you want a copy of the physical book, get on that shit quickly. Um, quickly and fast. Fast and quickly. I think one of the sort of lines I liked best talking about RPGs was a... Um, a girl growing up in China um, who eventually sort of left to become an artist and said, like, in RPGs, I could learn by doing, not waiting, which was kind of different mm. to the experience of being a teenager, going to school, hanging around, waiting for your actual life to begin. It's mm. quite a nice little little thing to think about there. Um, mm-hmm. I did not know, but in retrospect, could have guessed that there's historically been a huge amount of sexism in LARP. The live-action stuff in sort of old fantasy time stuff yeah tends towards the not being hugely accepting of women there are a couple of comics and women who've sort of charted their journey through 
trying to make those spaces a bit safer for themselves. I also did not know that, but it sort of does and doesn't surprise me. I like to think of those people as good people, but historically that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I mean, she was talking, she's been doing it, I think, for over 10 years, possibly over the course of about 15. I think in that time I can very much see it not being particularly progressive to begin with. I mean, partly from a sort of demographic, you know, it started Mm. mostly as a sort of boys' club, women coming in at all, and and particularly with sort of combat-heavy stuff. There was a sort of theme of, you know, women not being expected to be able to fight well and Mm. that sort of thing. But it sounds like it's getting better, so that's good. Um, It's it's important to preserve the absolute purity of twatting each other with foam swords. That's true. It's a a male right. Yeah. Yeah. Both R-I-T and R-I-G-H too. My left testicle didn't descend until I'd hit someone really quite soundly with a foam sword, so yes, this is true. That's good. I'm conflicted about that, right? Because I, I like... No, I wanted them both down. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's very, very important to mock hegemonic or just general dick-swinging masculinity, but I really don't think we should mock a lot. Like... I'm only mocking it in the sense that I'll mock anything. It, it's historically been an unfairly soft target, and it looks like a lot of fun. This is true. You you um, made a beeline for the, the sort of LARP enthusiasts come and play LARP stand at Thought Bubble a couple of years ago. Um, who they, they were just evangelists, really, for LARP. And it really did look like... I mean, you talked about LARP a lot after that. I got very close like to signing up. You were joining a cult. Um, it looked like fun. I, okay, so I love... Um, I've dabbled in tabletop. I love CRPGs. LARP seemed like it maybe had a bit too much of an upfront of investment, but it, 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 this stuff looks like fun. And because it's people running around in a field twatting each other with foam swords and yelling lightning bolt, lightning bolt at each other, I'm sure it isn't that. I bet it isn't that. But because it's easy to parody as that, yes, it looks a bit daft, but... It's so not playing paintball. Not fact, really what I mean here, but it's really just about exclusion from social spaces. Sure. Like it's the same with video games or Well at least with video games you can take it into your house and you don't have to talk to anyone mm. about it and you're not necessarily going to get marginalised unless you try to. I don't know that that's necessarily a good thing. No, it's not necessarily a good thing, but there is a way mm. of making that personally safe on yeah. a very yeah. small level that you don't get when you've got to turn up to a place with a yeah. bunch of other people yes. and try and do yes. something right that you're not maybe good at doing or it... not perceived to be good at doing based on what you look like or who you are. Yeah. The um, other thing that I thought was pretty interesting about it was that there was a sort of reasonable representation of uh, trans women oh, right. talking about their experiences of gaming. Mm. I think well, the thing that um, struck me about one of them, I can't remember which one, but um, she was saying that actually going back and playing games designed for younger girls was a way of living a female childhood that she didn't get to experience. And I thought that was mm. quite an interesting sort of experiential way of doing that. Well, games do. One of the things games do, well, heavily market segment as cultural products, of which games are often one, can be an interesting lens on seeing on who the world thinks you are and or should be. Mm-hmm. And so can therefore be quite interesting to revisit. Um, Mary King's Riding School. John, She's know. still going. She still rides really? horses, yeah. yeah. Sorry. And the, the clumsily gender stuff, as some early games for girls were, it kind of are a particularly grimy sort of... Girl set. Pirate set. Mm. Oh, that was bad. I mean, 
you know, every expectant parent is thinking, yeah, am I hoping it's a girl or a pirate? (laughs) (laughs) I fancy a sort of skeleton pirate offspring. That'd be way better than any actual child I could produce. Yeah, you either either want them to be a traditional homemaker or some sort of buccaneer. Possibly skeletal buccaneer. Possibly skeletal. Possibly they come under some sort of ancient curse. I mean, who knows what goes on. It was really implying a lot about pirates as well as about women. The other good thing about Jane Albuquerque was that lots of people have as much love for Pokemon as I do. And I guess maybe it's because of the whole sort of quite accessible to girls, playable as a female character from the third installation. Everybody had a Game Boy, RPGs are fun kind of thing. But that was a sort of... It was, it was weird because at the time I was playing that stuff, I felt like I was the only one. I didn't know any other girls who did that kind of thing. All right. Not really knowing Pokemon makes me feel older than anything else uh, about my sort of vague peer group of nebulously a couple of years in either direction. You've also just lost out on so much joy in your life. I tried to I mean, I can play Pokemon. I was indifferent to it. You may be too old now. I think it's... Like, I was... What was I, like, eight, nine when I first got hooked on it? And well, they didn't make them when I was that age. Well, no, exactly. I think you need a time machine. He had to make do with pogs. I, didn't, I had I didn't pogs. really have any pogs. We had clearly bullshit. Like, everyone had hundreds of them and not a single person knew what you were meant to do. Like, they thought you were meant to throw them at each other, maybe, or throw them down on a stack and then grab them. Yeah. Like, it was... What like, were you meant to do? Well, you're not meant to throw them down on a stack and then grab them. I think you were meant to do that, but... I mean, it's a it stupid really way to like acquire small discs of cardboard. We played Magic the Gathering and the Babylon 5 CCG. A little bit of Star Wars, some Star Trek. I, I played Warhammer. Seven Seas. Like a normal person. Or was it Five Rings? No, Seven... And Five Rings. We played a lot of CCGs. Pokemon? It was just Pokemon. I, I had Pokemon instead of friends, basically. The younger kids had the Yu-Gi-Oh! CCG and they were like, what the fuck is this? No, I like Yu-Gi-Oh! That TV was completely was contemporary to the Pokemon CCG. Yeah, for some reason no one played Pokemon. It was, either, it was either the weird shit we were playing or Yu-Gi-Oh! Did you know that Nintendo made a cartridge of the game of the Pokemon CCG? As in the Game Boy game of the CCG. Which they made based on a Game Boy game. Yo, dog. <laughs> This is probably why they have an enormous cash pile that they're sitting on. Yeah. So that when they've got no ideas, they can go, remember that time we made a game of a CCG of a game of a CCG of a game? They're like, yes, it's that pile over there, that enormous wobbling tower of money. That's that one. Yeah. Even bigger because it's yen. Yeah. It's just lots of yen. So, Chainmail Bikini. It was good. It was good. Is it available now to buy separately to the Kickstarter? I don't know. I got it as a PDF download based on the Kickstarter having finished and them shipping it. Shall we find out? Let's. In the meantime, how would you feel if your, uh, if your significant other asked you the question, number one, do you mind if I have the guys over? Number two, what if the guys referred to a bunch of very old Nazi war criminals who are still on the run? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to break down how I feel learning those things in sequence? Yes. Or, well, all of my partner's male friends. No, yeah, it'd be alright, it'd be alright. Oh, oh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, hmm, hmm, yeah. Like, well, they'd have some interesting things to talk about. Oh, God, no, I'll call the police. <laughs> Having the guys over, I can't actually find anything for this um, about, about where to buy it because if you type chainmail bikini, you get a lot of people complaining about chainmail bikini tropes in fiction and TV. Fair enough. Um, well, one of the. Um, 
yes, I don't know if she's using it allegorically or not, but one of the LARP ladies, as a sort of example of sexism, was a gentleman asking if she would model his chainmail bikini. Uh, not clear if that was allegory or if it actually happened to her. I wouldn't be surprised. When you say his, one he, one he owned specifically for asking that question? One or that he, he crafted or? on purpose. Okay. Crafted for the purposes of somebody else's breasts being cupped by it. For the record, I cupped my breasts. It was imposing. Thank you. You look unimpressed. Well, I read uh, The Unwritten Apocalypse, uh, which is the end of the Unwritten series. I'm sorry, I didn't ask you what you read. No, it's fine. You were too busy talking about and indeed holding your tits. So, um, I like The Unwritten series. I've been reading it since it started in 2009. Tell me more about it. It is about a man called Tommy Taylor, who uh, shares a name with the fictional character that his father created, who is a very, very obvious Harry Potter analogue. Um, and it rapidly becomes clear that his father is embroiled in some sort of game of cat and mouse with a shadowy cabal who try and control notions of story throughout history and all around the world to suit their own purposes. Uh, and he's fighting back by trying to twist the sort of prevailing story in Western canon to counter them and to create a child who is half fictional so that they can fight back. It gets quite weird from there. Yeah. Um, how far into the run is that? Sounds, no, that's fine. Like, how, how far did you just get us into the run? Um, that's probably in the first two or three trades. Okay. Um, it unfolds quite slowly early on. Um, but it's very, very clear that some variant of that's happening early on, so I don't think I've ruined it for anyone. Mm -hmm. Well, the first trade makes it clear that dad, Harry Potter analogue, weird kids, conspiracy, child that's half fictional to change the hoo-ha. Not in the first trade. The first trade. The first trade is very compelling. I wanted to read the rest, and then I can't remember why I didn't. But then I lazy in, enough probably fuckery enough time elapsed. Though oh god, there are so many now. Yeah, so that's one of the reasons that I have read it, and and there are probably series that I would like to have read more that I haven't been buying as they came out. So mm. I fucking love Hellboy, but to catch up on Hellboy now would cost me an absolute fortune. There are ignoring. The BPRD that isn't main mainline continuity. So Probably about just, 15 just the bare, trades. Yeah, 15, 20 trades. Um, and then and about the same with well, BPRD. They're published. You're looking at dropping 15 quid a pop. Oh, yeah, more, more if you want the giant hardbacks. Do hmm. you really? want the giant hardbacks? More than. Is seemly? Yeah. I think yeah. you might be too messing. I'm Ooh. not. I'm not. I'm fine. A little bit turgid. Basically fine. Mm -hmm. Um. But yeah, this this is basically the end of the unwritten. I think this is probably the first thing that the first sort of story of this length that I've read from start to finish. So sort of over six years. Um, there's a lot of other stuff of the same sort of length, like Transbet, that I hmm. picked up after the fact. And it's very vertigo, isn't it? It's it is very vertigo, and it's one of the things that actually survived the vertigo cull, which is quite nice. Um. um and it's good. It's, it's actually nice to see something that big and that complicated come to a satisfying conclusion, um, which has been, I mean, that 
satisfying conclusion is not sort of the most thrilling way of saying it. You should probably read it if you're interested in fiction and you like big, complicated things. It's by Mike Carey, who mm. wrote Lucifer. Um, and it's good. And, and one thing that I sort of want to call out, which we don't normally mention, really, um, is the covers, which are fantastic. And... Mm. Um, from start to finish have been done by an artist called uh, Yuko Shimizu who is a Japanese American artist I believe who does lots of odd almost sumi style um, ink drawings mm. um, they're weird and dreamy yeah and it just gives a very particular look to the, the books on the shelves they're fantastic and all of the covers are included in the trades I would recommend it. It's an interesting read. There are some plot strands that don't necessarily go anywhere, but... I'm watching Firefly at the moment, so that's fine. Yeah, I don't, don't want to... Yeah. 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 That's just... That's not really that the plot strands don't go anywhere, so much that it just abruptly stops all of it. Yeah. Whereas this is... What happened to that guy we left in the outback? Oh, shit, go fetch him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. And everything else I read is for the topic of today's conversation which is basically we went away and read the things that make us ashamed we ate to our shame i ate a lot of things i threw some of them up so the purpose of this exercise is to we've all gone away uh, we picked we've picked a couple of books that were sort of accepted as classics or very good comics that we'd never read and um we went away and and read them and now we're gonna present our thoughts. So Lucy, what were the books that you decided you were going to read? Mouse and mm. The Dark Knight Returns. And you didn't read Mouse because, my God, that's depressing? Because of the Holocaust. Part, well, partly because of... Partly because I never thought I was going to be in a sort of suitable frame of mind for reading that. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a friend whose parents growing up would only let her read Thomas Hardy when she'd gone to some sort of sunny kind of beach-like location because they thought otherwise it might be too taxing on her constitution and I sort of felt a bit like that about it, you know, wait That's for a quite read. Victorian, like, they, you know, <laughs> you need to go away and, and take the air. Yeah. Um, it's good for your constitution, otherwise you'll be brooding and poetic on a moor somewhere. You might hang yourselves in a closet because we are too many. And also it's Dark really Knight funny. Returns. Um, yes, and also Dark Knight Returns, which I hadn't read because I don't care about Batman. Yeah, or Frank Miller. Or Frank Miller, who I didn't know was bad, but you guys said he was bad, and then I found out that he was bad. He can draw. I don't know. I didn't like the art at all. So Mouse. Yes. Having gone away and read Mouse, how do you now feel about it? Good. It's really good. It is really good, isn't it? I think one of the other things that put me off was just the sheer kind of height of the pedestal it was on, even amongst mm. non-comicsy people. Well, it's just so Pulitzer, good and it's worthy. The, that it's, it's the crossover. Yeah. And the first crossover, and it had sort of 20, 30 years of weight critically behind it mm. and I felt quite intimidated by that no it's really good I mean I guess the thing that I didn't really realise but probably could have predicted based on the kind of the way it was made was how much it was going to be about sort of how trauma is passed down rather than trauma itself so the sort of you know the ongoing the long term effects the effects on the family the kind of 
the traits it builds rather than yeah, the immediate I mean, experience. A lot of it is about his dad being him, fucked up. His dad being fucked up and him recounting trying to make this thing, trying to make this sort of this this chronicle of his father when they just butt off each other mm. so so strongly. Um which I, I mean, I just wasn't expecting when I came to it at all. It was actually mm. pretty interesting. I was sort of, you know, I was interested in his father's story, which forms the sort of core narrative weaving through it, but I was possibly even more interested in that relationship and in the way that it came about and the way it was told. That was good. That also, good clean line work. But really dense panels as well. Mm. Tiny, They're quite itchy, tiny they? panels. Mm. Itchy and scratchy. Oh, fuck off. Worker and Parasite. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was it was really good. And uh, if you think you can handle the Holocaust, then there is no reason for you not to read it. Don't be put off by the years of critical acclaim. Probably nobody else is apart from me. Am I the only person who gets intimidated by this shit? A little. I, I was. I, I, so I haven't read it either. Um, it's good, you should. And I kind of... I'm dimly aware of many of the reasons why I should. Mm. I didn't know that it was... Um, I thought it was all Holocaust all the time. It's I not. I didn't know that they had the father relationship. No, it really it's is. Sort of each chapter is kind of bookended about with that stuff. The, it's about the research process, so it's, it's, it's about its own creation. That does make me want to read it more. Mm. Um, and it really is about the difficulties in the relationship between the two and the, the sort of the father essentially being unable to accept that he hasn't really had a normal life Mm. Um, and the things that he's passed on to his son because of that. And the things that he does in the belief that they will make things better somehow. Just sort of behavioural traits that he seems to think are going to come out net positive that actually just kind of fuck everything up for everyone around him. That's a very strong theme. Well, for instance, there's a kind of... There's a scene where he... He's, his wife has left him, his second wife, and he's staying up in a cabin on his own. And he gets he gets his son and the son's wife to come and stay for a few days, but he's sort of pressuring them to stay for the whole summer, and they're kind of pushing back against right. that. And he's like, "Well, if we're leaving, I've got all this food. I'll just take it back to the supermarket." And the son's like, "You just can't return half-eaten food to the supermarket. That's so embarrassing." And he goes and does it. And apparently, he didn't get anywhere until he said to the shopkeeper that, "You know, we were both in the Holocaust." And then he gets his money back on all this half-eaten food. And the son is just completely horrified by this whole thing. And the dad is sort of triumphant that he's scored yeah. a great victory and just sort of just two people completely divergent in the way that they exist trying together to build a narrative about an experience that's deeply influenced both of them in one way or another. It's, you that's probably really like that's it. That's incredibly compelling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess... That might be a reason it won that Pulitzer. In terms of the sort of, the kind of the pure Holocaust experience stuff, I guess it wasn't... There wasn't anything I didn't really know, but it was a good personal reminder about a lot of these sort of... A lot of the shit you forget, a lot of how much it was just pure luck and pure chance, which way it went for you, that kind of thing. The sort of... The chaos of it more than anything. The sort of weirdly controlled chaos in that you're sort of being watched all the time, but it was also sort of completely random what would end up happening to you. There's no sort of emergent narrative of success or a survival strategy 
there's sort of there's there's the occasion of I did this and so I got by. Um, but nothing more than that. It's really there is no. They took the person in front of behind, and I don't know why I was spared. Yeah, there's no there's no moral to it. There's no sort of goal or purpose to it. It's very much a statement just of what happened and the the way it gets really built into the story is by then seeing those knock on effects years later in the father son relationship. It was great. I I really really liked it. But as a counterpoint, Dark Knight Returns. It was a turgid piece of shit, and I couldn't finish it. Interesting. Yeah. Um. I I still I still don't care about Batman and it gave me nothing to make me care which I think was part of the issue. So I think it's it's place in the comics canon is it's it's the book that made Batman serious. Mm-hmm. Which is obviously It's interesting deeply to go back profoundly to unnecessary given how dark uh, daft telling that given how, given how daft bits of it are. It's also it's in places borderline illiterate there were it's not well written at all mm. I don't know there were well, places where sort of he was using the wrong words for what he wanted to say and it made me mad <laughs> um, using apropos to mean apt that kind of thing and the wrong you know an in instead of an n just in the beginning of a word shit that really kind of bothers me maybe it doesn't bother other people so much because other people are less dicks about other people's ability to express themselves. Well, but, but that that's a basic editing fail, right? Like yeah. that's just um, I didn't massively like the art style. Um, it was the, the also so I the, quite do like that one. But take it a little it's, it's quite hard to tell who was who because the faces changed a lot. Yeah. There was no consist there was sort of consistency of head shape, a very little consistency of actual face and it's a really obvious character. Mm. Um, I guess um, you could tell who was Reagan, right? Yes, I could tell. I do I find it odd Reagan. that like, it sort of shows how Frank Miller's changed in that it sort of broadly takes the piss out of Reagan and it broadly takes the piss out of the military-industrial complex. Things that he really loves now, just, just, just really hugely fond of. But it also it did a lot of. It was really hard for me to tell based on the time, what kind of social tone it was going for. So there's some just outright kind of homophobic, misogynistic stuff in there. Mm. And I can't tell if there's a tongue in a cheek or not, or if that was just the fucking 80s. I think it was just the 80s. It's, it's, we, not, it's not a subtle book. We all thought that there was. This is my problem with Frank Miller. This, this, we all thought that you couldn't write this hyperbolically without it being pastiche. Mm. It's not pastiche. Sin City feels like it might be pastiche because it's so far up to eleven, and then you think, and then you realise that actually no, that's just the inside of his head. So yeah. There was also, I guess, the sort of the where I got to people, sort of the voices of liberalism, people, people who espouse liberal values, which is kind of the opposite of vigilante justice and sort of big police state and militarization and all kinds of whatever, were sort of broadly portrayed as idiots, like the people who were right were the people who were on Batman's side. And I, that didn't make me feel good. Yeah, because it's the start of it, he sort of... He likes 
willful characters. Characters are willful more than they are correct. Mm-hmm. Um, or morally justifiable to triumph. He likes a triumph of the will, if, if you will. He's sort of, his politics at that point seem to be sort of libertarian, verging on fascist. Um, there was some swastikas on some boobs as well. Yeah, that was, that was a, that. A, an exciting piece of design work. I don't, I don't mind, well, my, this is my, my problem with it is similar. I think I enjoyed it more than you did, but my problem with it is similar. I, I don't mind reading things that I disagree with or reading things that espouse the world that I disagree with. What does occasionally take me out of something or make me a bit askance is reading something that so strongly expects you to come along with it, mm-hmm. that controls your focus as a reader so tightly as to expect you to agree with its worldview, yeah. that when you don't it's quite hard to retain a grip on it. There was also something, I think something that sort of lost me in terms of suspension of disbelief was characters with just such ridiculously strongly polarised views and acting out of those views that it just wasn't even credible that that would happen you know so so the doctor he says oh yes that's really Harvey Dent he's perfectly fine for society now and so it's like did anybody not think that was going to be a monumentally yeah. bad idea but you know you didn't you didn't sort of reason it and then do it you just said this is going to be great let's do it yeah um, but, you know he's he's soft mental health services yeah, exactly, but it's, it, yeah. everything's a fucking shitty metaphor for something that's a bad idea anyway. And I didn't enjoy that. Yeah. I think it's fair to say that it's, it's not necessarily aged brilliantly. No. I, no, I guess, I guess maybe if I had more background in the stuff, if I cared more about bats, men's, if I'd been there at the time, it might have been more interesting and more accessible. Yeah, but should you have to? I don't know. Did it really start? Well, so... So Mouse is older mm. than it, and it absolutely stood up. Yeah. It's, it, it exists outside of the sort of superhero continuity, though. There's, true, there's, a, true. there's a what what you can and can't do. Did in you, superhero did you see Clary? I think it was Clary's thing. It was, I think it was Clary on Twitter the other day. Um, my one woman show, touring libraries near you, yelling, The Dark Knight was never that good. You were just younger when you read it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It seemed baffling and revelatory when I was 12, because yeah, what were they it. doing with Batman? This is big and weird and terrifying. But having but it was still the same shit, right? It was still the same rogues gallery. It wasn't, this wasn't year one. This wasn't an interesting reboot. This wasn't a world reset. It's still all the same shine, just cranked up to a very strange 11. I wasn't keen on the mutants either. The mutants did nothing for me as a villain's... Um, so something something that I guess is interesting, and maybe this is true of every era, but eighties dystopia is just so eighties anyway. Two thousand AD does a good job of it. Two thousand AD has always had a sense of humour. What was we did you, did did was you comparing the recent Mad Max dystopia to two thousand AD kind of just in the sort of inventiveness of the grubby horrible? Yes. Yeah. There's there's. <laughs> There's a thing that... So actually, Frank Miller does do this as well. There are, there are dystopias where human imagination is absolutely crushed, and then you have dystopias like Judge Dredd and Mad Max and actually Dark Knight Returns, where people just do weird shit to amuse themselves mm. in the way that people would. It's often casual sadism. 
it is often casual sadism or it's Washism. removing your nipples and and tattooing giant swastikas on them. Also on the butt. Yes. There was butt swastika too. It was a very interesting juxtaposition of swastika imagery mm-hmm. between the two things I read this week. Yeah. Framilla's is slightly less mature. Quite, would you say? quite a lot less tasteful and yeah. uh, apt or apropos. There's a character in Sin City who has swastika shaped throwing stars. Of course. Because Frank Miller is a good writer and should be taken seriously. For sure. And again, you look at Sin City and how could that not be a joke? Turns out maybe it wasn't. You look at Dark Knight and I think, yeah, I I think, think how far in the cheek is that tongue? I think, you know, elements of, elements of it are definitely are saying, oh, this is just Frank Miller's beliefs writ large. It's not true. Elements of it are joking, but nowhere near as much as you'd hope as or you, want as, or need. As, as would actually make it make sense. And the intent, yeah. the intent shouldn't and kind of doesn't matter, but regardless of that intent, what is encoded, what is there to read, yeah, nothing great, hey. It's also true that the more it actually is his weird mind, the worse the small percentage of the joke is as an actual joke. Mm. The kind of the, the more that falls flat because of the weird deluded stuff surrounding it. Right. Because it's not a joke that the audience is actually in on, it's the joke that he thinks is funny, which, if you think it's much more a joke than that, then you're not going to get in on the little bit because the big bit's already betrayed you. Yeah, okay. Is my theory. No, I could buy that. I think. Yeah. I can, I can say it better if you want. No. I'm fairly convinced by the idea. So, Hart, you read Charles Burns' Black Hole. Black Hole. And some of the Brothers Hernandez Love and Rockets, one of the collections of a tiny, tiny portion of the loving and the rocketry. Let's go with that first, because, you know, from that, I'm going to guess that it wasn't for you. Oh, God. Similar reaction to Ms. Boyd's kind of bouncing off the Dark Knight. Um, so I started off with the Maggie Mechanic collection, which I think is the first. It is the beginning, yeah. I wanted to love it. I, I read about it in... It's, it's covered a bit in, in Douglas Fogg's book, isn't it? It is, yeah. There's a, there's a, a section in there on, in reading comics. And everyone always says the Hans Brothers are great. Lots of people say. And I like the art. It made me think of kind of a scratchier, itchier Halo Jones. Yeah, I think the early ones were... I think very early on they were self-published. And the, the early ones have this kind of punk rock Jetsons vibe. Which sort of picks up and, and disappears throughout it. So it's called Love and Rockets because it's essentially about the personal lives of a bunch of characters in a sort of extrapolated 1950s sci-fi universe. So there's a lot of there's been a shiny war, not jet specific. corvettes. There's and sort of there are hover bikes. And there's, shit. An on, there's an ongoing war in South America. Because again, it was written in the early eighties, and there was always an ongoing war in South America in and the early eighties. It that stuff's cool. So, what I wanted it to be, and what it was in flashes, was a nicely drawn character piece between two interesting, reasonably self-possessed women, in kind of punk rock, pulp sci-fi near future. That sounds great. Doesn't mm-hmm. that sound great? Yeah, I agree with that. What it actually is is incoherent blither with occasional, actually surprisingly tasteless nudity. 
Like, I didn't really find that. Um, um, it, it, that. That's a minor part. I'm only going to complain about that very briefly because it is a minor part, but some of the nudity is quite male-gazy in a, in a way that bothered me. Um, that's it. That's, I'm not talking anymore about that. That's just, it's a small thing, but it's a thing. Um, it, yeah, it, it looks like punk rock Barbarella. It reads like a student newspaper. It's... You've got the kind of... I'm a big fan for sci-fi fantasy settings of the Emilio's beginning. I'm a big, a big fan of jumping in, not explaining, letting it unfold on either side. This isn't that. This is just incoherently throwing shit at the wall that you never really explain or half explain later to see what sticks. It's worse than the fucking incal. And that is why I'm unduly prejudiced against that sort of way of beginning, because I've read too many of those that yeah. didn't quite work. And fair enough. So I would say that stuff does begin to cohere, or oh, well, is played it, down. It's run for like a thousand years, right? Like it, this must cohere as the characters' lives solidify and things things shake out. But even so, it's just it coheres and changes quite drastically Look, the within the first shit. hundred pages. Okay. The writing is absolute shit. I read about a third of that volume, and yes, it was slowly picking up, but. Voices all over the place. It's just a mess. Narrative, none to speak of. It doesn't hear things happen one after the other in that children's storytelling and then and then style. Mm. It's everything. Basically, everything that bothered me about the Incal bothered me about this, except um, it was less mad and colourful, and in a way more disappointing because I wasn't expecting to hate it. So th this is something I've staved off reading for a long time because I thought it seemed a bit dour and worthy and I'd misinternalized it. I thought it was going to be a sort of Harvey P. Curry slice of life thing, which when I first got into comics I had no time for and now I'm quite interested in. So I put it off. I thought it was... I thought it was a near... It's also, it's also big yeah. and long-running. Yeah, so I'm not going to get into it. I thought it was a near-future sci-fi slice of life, possibly with interesting Mexican lesbians. And boy, were you disappointed. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of some of those things, but none of them very well. It's... I think it's a mess. So, uh, I mean, I wildly disagree, but when I first read it, I had the same experience. So I first read it about 15 years ago um, in infinitely smaller doses. So I think the what I lent you was about five trades originally. Yeah. Um, and... One of the things that you sort of you get when you read it as a book that you don't get as a comic is that the short storylines are extremely short. Um, no, you, you get so, that because you don't turn many pages and then they start again. That's that's the thing you get. No, the actual arcs. There are sort of four and five issue arcs, so it doesn't completely do away with what you were complaining about. Some of which is slightly immature writing, um, but. It does cohere. It does begin to cohere much, much sooner than you seem to think. I think I got through at least a couple. So I got through some scrappy shorts and the, the the fixing the rocket ship thing. That's really early, and a little bit more. And I just nope. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't flow. It's disconnected. I can't really, I can't see how you're getting there because there's not really a lot beyond the sort of interaction between Maggie and Hopi and the way that they're sort of pushing apart and coming back together again. Well, except they're trying to tell a story about 
becoming there are things going on in their lives that are not meaningfully connected to an outside world with things that aren't usefully or interestingly explained that there's something about being stuck in a jungle with some really racist native caricatures that's, that's not fucking right. embarrassing um, and some kind of corporate capture of a local government and fixing a rocket ship and all of these potentially interesting tropes thrown around but not wired together in any very useful way and yes the emotional narrative of these two friends connecting and disconnecting is interesting and is it's massive in that sense it's massively more emotionally mature than any of the rest of it is well put together but okay there's an interesting emotional narrative that is draped off narrative pieces that are big and conspicuous to the point of being distracting, but so incoherently bolted together as to make them basically impossible to use. All of that stuff is there later, but often years later in terms of when it was actually created. So the government takeover, the war in South America, all of that stuff has been running in over 30 years of these comics. The sudden introduction of characters with no foreshadowing that everyone understands, but that isn't explained or put... It's just... So the bad and media res thing bothers me massively. Um... I'm not trying to be contrary, but I can't think of a single instance. The introduction of the mother, the backstory of the weird type of mechanics they might be, the failed space mission with the crashed rocket, why are there giant lizards? Um, do you like giant lizards? I do, but why are they there? They don't really make much sense. Um, almost all of it, everything that isn't the core character relationship, is just fucking incoherent. So I don't think that it's the all-time classic that people seem to think it is, but I can't... Genuinely can't understand where you're coming from with it. Do you guys need me to read it and tell you which one of you is right? I don't think you'd enjoy it. No, you probably wouldn't, but I don't... I don't get to this point with it. And like I said, when I read it initially, I read probably around the same amount as you. I think I read the first three of the Fantagraphics trades, which was Mm. sort of 200 pages worth. Um... And it didn't quite grab me, but I think I had less broad tastes then. Your tastes now are much broader than mine were at that time. So, I don't know. I, I reread it for the first time reasonably recently and got quite quite involved in it. I'm very easily bothered by things that look like world building and fail. The world building is much, much slower than you might want. It, is, it does introduce concepts that it doesn't really come back to until later, and sometimes they disappear. One man's slow appears to be another man's gibberish. We may have to disagree and commit. Black hole. In contrast to Love and Rockets, which I just didn't get on with, um, I really thought I wouldn't like Black Hole. I, I thought it would be dour and overworthy and portentous and a bit adolescent. And it kind of is all those things, but not in a particularly bad way, and it's absolutely fucking beautiful. And, yeah, if I want to read a heavy-handed sexual disease allegory with far too many spurious vagina images, I... Well, you know, there's nowhere else you can go for all those things in one book. No, um, no it really does have a unique selling point. Um, to be fair, the, the bug, the, um, the AIDS analogy is, is not just that, it's sort of... It's simplistic to call it an AIDS analogy. Yeah. It is also an AIDS analogy. Yeah, it's also 
all of teen experience, really. Mm. And it's this is. But it's also it's also sort of it's imposition of received morality versus exposition of one's own internal. There's some really weirdly encoded sex morality in it, mm-hmm. like the structure and interplay of the disfigurement stuff, mm-hmm. and who can and can't pass, and social yeah. in and out grouping mm-hmm. are kind of encoded in. Someone on Twitter, it might have been um, Comics and Cola, so actor, linked to a link to a post this week, where someone was talking about kind of common casual critical fallac- fallacies, mm. like easy mistakes to make when you're reading, and what you know, like thinking that the thing that happens is the way the author believes the world should be, mm-hmm. um, forgetting that things are fictional, just like easy pro- easy easy traps to fall into with fiction. The world can be this way, but it isn't always. You gradually realise that. So not not uniformly, but partly um, in Black Hole, some of the more heavily disfigured and um, people and the people that sort of go more to the grotesque mm-hmm. are part of pre-existing outgroups. They're kind of the the geeks and the dorks and the the people that have been othered. Yeah. Um, and some of the structure of the way the the bug is, is transmitted and things align with typical patriarchic senses of sexual morality and kind of sex shaming for women. Not uniformly, not universally, not everywhere. Um, and I don't think that's what the book is saying the world should be. I don't want to fall into that one. It instantiates some sets of views of this in ways that actually unwind in quite a sick way. So when you realise that the um, sort of camp out in the woods are in fact the pre-existingly othered out group, mm-hmm. that's actually quite a powerful statement about that sort of inequality and status difference. I actually thought that was interesting as opposed to grotesque. Mm-hmm. There are some interesting bits of social encoding. It, it, what is, it's a teen experience story. People start catching some kind of STI which does different types of physical disfigurement type stuff to them. Some of them are massively transformatively changed. Some of them can pass but it still affects them and we flip through the minds and stories and worlds of different people. And it's in this beautiful but ugly, oppressive chiaroscuro thing, just chock-fucking-full of vaginas. Mm-hmm. So obviously it's, it's also... There, there are a lot of there are a lot of vaginas in it. Obviously it's that... It's, it's part of that teen thing. When you're a teen, you think that sort of losing your virginity is going to be massive mm-hmm. transformative and also that people can tell. And in this case, yeah. for the most part, they are all losing their virginities. And, and people can tell. And people very much can tell. The most heavy-handed of which is the... Neck mouth, neck mouth that whispers truths and looks a bit labial. I guess also, um, no, I'm sorry, I had a point, but I completely forgot it. Apologies, I think I talked over you. No, 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 that's fine. Um, no, sorry, the thing, I guess the thing also that struck me about it was sort of how intensely othering the experience was for each individual when they got it. You know, will I get it? Oh God, I've got mm. it. Who will know? Mm. But how it just seems to have crept through pretty much everyone. So yeah, by the end, almost being... everyone has yeah. some inflection on the disease. But at the same time, it's it's a deeply sort of miserable individual experience, even though everyone has it. There's no unity yeah. in having it. It's there still are... your own shame. Yes, and there are almost no adults in the book and they don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. There's no health intervention. These yeah. kids are fending for, fending for themselves. The loose community there is fractures. Yes, and it's disorganised to begin with, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, it's, yes, massively individually othering, massively collectively othering, and, but the reasons I didn't want to read it hold out having read it. It's hard work. Mm-hmm. It's ugly and it's unpleasant and in places it's deeply clumsy. But 
it's a really well done thing I don't like very much mm. and I appreciated having read it. The other thing is, the thing that I didn't think, I thought it was a, a solid continuous narrative, is it's these, I don't know about its publication history, maybe I should have looked at it, but it, it's these little vignettes. I think it, it took him it was originally to It was originally published, I think, 10 or 12 issues and it took about a decade. Okay. And it, it's segmented into more little bits than that, I think, or a few more. Maybe, no, maybe it's probably that one. But, as little exper- teenage experience vignettes, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some stuff I didn't like. They, there are some places where it felt like it was going to break out of some other color coding or do some interesting things and then sort of didn't. Mm. Um, gender politics aren't great, but you know, whatever, it's set in 1974 and it's about teenage sex. They're not terrible either. Mm, it's um, true. It's... I wonder how much more terrible I would find them now, because it's probably a good sort of six or seven years since I read it. It doesn't endorse the worst of it. it, it it's very good at show, but don't endorse. Mm-hmm. But I guess at the time it struck me as not all that bad, but I now have much more rigid standards for sort of what is an okay thing to do to women in fiction and what isn't. Mm. No, it's, um, I think I would cautiously recommend it, having been pessimistically indifferent to it before. It's definitely one of those good and worthy but not necessarily enjoyable type of things. I suspect I'd find it visually more alienating if I hadn't um, fallen hard for Harold Cruz. Mm-hmm. Like that sort of inky, thick, intense style. Yeah, whereas I mean it was sort of a natural extension of Brian Bolland, who I really loved as a, as a kid. Um... It's very much in, in a similar mould. But I was flipping through it earlier, and literally there, is al- there are almost no pages without a vagina. Occasionally, occasionally there's a penis as well. I, I'm tearing I, down my George O'Keefe posters. Yeah, the badges, dude. Or was it pro? I think it was pro. But I, so there, there, and there are, there are some... Some of them are wonderful jokes. The, the movement from someone worrying about his cock to some dreamlike abstractions to a hot dog on a stick being toasted over a mm. fire just as he's worrying about getting cock diseases. Yes, no, there those are, are great. There are some wonderful bits like that, and then there are some really unsettling ones, like the kind of, what is that? Is it a shimmer of light? Well, this is a book about teenagers, so it's probably a vagina. Oh, no, it's a, the cut-open chest of a frog in laboratory dissection. Yeah, it could have been a vagina. Ones, the riptides. And, yeah. Yeah. And, it knows it's doing it. It's quite coy. So it'll, when it, it'll do some abstractions and then just bang straight into someone actually with their, their hands on their junk. Mm-hmm. It, it's not like it thinks it's smarter and more figurative than it is. Um, but it's quite it's high density about junkular stuff. Relentlessly teenage experience. Yes, yeah. but yes, again, it's, and it's oh. sexually focused and just beyond that curiosity about bodies. Yeah, and I, I think I think that's kind of what makes it not feel like it's too much it's exactly too much enough it's also not really in any way sexy it's very sexualized no. but you don't it, you know there's the object is not lust the object is not particularly male gazy apart from no. in some of the scenes between people the only the only thing that's even slightly male gazy and it's not it is there's a scene where one of the guys is looking at some porn Mm-hmm. And the kind of the view angle is pulled back from it, and he's in a grubby toilet. And those are some of the most posedly, sexualizedly, flauntedly female images. And it's this guy going, "Oh, 
the rest of the time they're just bodies no god aren't all of our bodies horrible because of what we're doing yeah I'm I'm glad I read it I found it difficult I found it slow going I wouldn't have read it without a push are you glad you read it at this point in your sexual career and not much much earlier yeah Because Winkle diseases. Yeah, Winky disease. It's nice that you described it as a career as well, like we're expecting his CV. Well, I was once asked uh, by a teacher how my uh, romantic career was progressing, and I said that I hadn't got past the interview stage yet, which was true at the time. I thought that was quite funny in retrospect. It's just kind of weird. It's no, stuck, I think it's stuck with you, and, and you've deployed it on Roger this evening. Yeah, I think it's still quite funny. That's good, yeah. thank you. I can draw up my CV for this if you like. It's relatively uncomplicated. No, we're good. we're good, we're fine. Put it in the show notes. Dave, what did you read? Shame, read, read, shame. Shame, read. I read Ghost World. Oh, yeah? Um, How was it? I thought you'd read that for some reason. No, I haven't read Ghost World. You've seen the film like a billion times, though. Yeah. They're very different, though, so that's quite useful. Um, I don't know why I'd read it. I think it was just sort of the air of worthiness that had been bestowed upon it in the same way as, as Mouse that meant, that meant that I just hadn't at this point, because... I assumed you'd read it because in the earlier days of knowing you on Twitter, you followed I Am Mean Coleslaw, and I just assumed you'd no, read it because of no, that. No, 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 she's just funny. Yeah. Um, oh, this is Daniel Flowers does weird teens, pretty much. Does weird teens. It's sort of teenage isolation and, and the clattering last days of a, of a teenage friendship as people start to look about, look at moving to college and moving away from the small town. Mm. And it's about a, a sort of friendship that's defined by the sort of geographical isolation of this small town and being self-defined weirdos and smart people. Things defined by space that are no longer defined by space. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the thing. All of that's there and it works and and I enjoyed it, but it feels like a period piece now. Um, their, Their capacity for consuming culture is limited to the geographical space around them. It stops where they can get to. Buy it from a record store. Yeah. yeah. And it's just not it's just not the case anymore. Mm. This um, is something that didn't strike me about Black Hole until you mentioned about Ghost World the other day. But yeah, it's very true. Black Hole is a weirdly spatial thing. Yeah. I think it's it's more part of the story in Ghost World because it is about them interacting with essentially the town that is around them mm. and they define their friendship essentially in terms of their opposition to other people and the local TV stations and essentially everything around them they're just sort of snottily reacting to and this is how they define their friendship and you start to see cracks form as people start to, to empathise with each you know they, they respectively start to empathise with other people as actual humans rather than a target for their scorn Um, it's almost it's weird that today your sort of scornful teen slash young person has literally a whole world of opponents to be mad about instead of just the local TV station (laughs) they can be completely anonymous and be absolute twats to anyone Mm. not to go into a full kids these days but you know I think people are more likely to put them in opposition put themselves in opposition to an idea Mm. it still exists and there's probably space to explore that for someone else entirely. Mm. Um, but yeah, that world that world just doesn't really exist anymore. I did enjoy it, but I could never quite shake that. And it wasn't really my experience of childhood either. It was sort of ending before mm-hmm. before I was a kid. 
uh, before I was sort of getting to the point of leaving leaving for university. Mm. You had the internet and stuff then, sort of. Sort of. Just just barely, but... but Thin just, and slow as an internet. Just crawling yeah. through a tube into your house. Yeah. yeah. Still making the noise. Mm-hmm. Oh, the noise. The other thing uh, was... I'm old enough to miss the noise. And young enough to play Pokemon. What a golden age it was for you. It's weird. My sister, who's just... Millennials, bro. Apparently we're millennials. Yeah, fuck you guys as well. By some definition. We're millennials. Yeah. By some definition. We don't have fucking houses, do we? No, apparently it's like if you were born after 1979. Wow. Seems a bit generous. Yeah. So the difference between me and my sister, who's nearly five years younger, is I can remember the first time I used the internet and she can't. Sort of terrifying. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's really fucking weird. I like those quizzes that say how long, uh, how much the longest you've ever gone without the internet? 16 years. <laughs> it's 16 years. I know that for absolutely certain. 16 fucking years. It's also, I guess, this is totally a tangent point, but sort of the different They're internet culture of people who got to it at different ages. So joining the internet as it was when you were 16 at the age of 16 was very different to getting involved in online stuff when I was 13 based on what it was then and then kids these days with their tumblers and their twitters and you know what I mean the eternal September yeah is eternal yeah everyone will everyone will find one I, there's, there's just so much online anthropology to be done so little time mm. so little of because well, I spend job. all my time on fucking the internet mm. are we are we the Margaret Meads of this is, is that our job or we can live amongst the people and then get things very very badly wrong because we can't correct for observer bias my major um, exposure anthropology jokes yeah take that Margaret Mead to anthropology I was hanging out with my friend in the anthropology lab she was going through boxes in a very badly organised collection looking for femurs and she'd open up a box and I'd say is that femurs and she'd be like nope shrunken heads um, another time there was just like half a skull that still had all the layers of stuff on top of it um, a lot of it wasn't famous and it was just all really really poorly uh, organised well we interrupted you grossly while talking about Ghost World and that's uh, uh, so I also read Jimmy Corrigan one I was dreading um, remind me what are you dreading because Chris Ware books are routinely cast as genius and are incredibly depressing and incredibly dense. Right. Um, That's a theme in things we've been, we've been avoiding. We've basically there? been putting off things that we think might be deleterious for our mental health. What's being a bit heavy. Yeah. Um, and it really was that. Um, so I think technically a lot, of, a lot of the way that it was constructed was brilliant in a way that just did not really engaged me in any way. I think I described it as having a bit of a James Joyce feeling about this one. So I, I can see what you did there. I can see that that's impressive and I can see why people would want to sit and pick it apart and think it's brilliant. But, oh my fucking God, I'm not one of those people. Yeah. Um, and I don't mind difficult and I don't mind obtuse, but this somehow just didn't didn't work for me. I don't know how far through it I got, not maybe 100, 150 pages. So brilliantly, I, I put a bookmark in it the last time I picked it up. Um, somehow I thought this was necessary, um, given that I had placed the bookmark on the inside cover. 
which is an impossibly dense wall of tiny, tiny text, which has some good jokes in, admittedly, about the whole book being an impossibly dense wall of tiny, tiny text. Seems a bit smug. I just, uh, I got as far as I got and just thought, I hate this, and gave up. It's very, very difficult. It operates on a whole bunch of different levels. There's his sort of childhood fantasy, or his, his fantasies of being the smartest kid on earth when, you know, he is a fairly unremarkable middle-aged man. Um, there are the sort of symbolic intrusions into his life and into the life of his sort of forefathers, which happen repeatedly, a disembodied hand, a peach, um, a mask or a, a line cast across people's eyes that sort of recur and recur. He drops in and out of dream states and it's not immediately obvious when hmm. um, because the way that it's cast as sort of frequently being newspaper strip style um, illustration and sometimes it'll be in two newspaper strips which tell different stories so it does a lot of things um, it does a lot of formal tricks that are interesting and bear dissection and it is clever and I still think I was right to have ignored it because I just can't, I just, I just can't get on with it. Yeah. I may come back to it. It may be just that because we were reading it for this, I read far too much in a single sitting. Mm. But I found it very, very difficult to, to push through. Too chunky to do. Yeah. But on the other hand, that's Tom, not a real Tom, it's, it's got a quote from Tom Paul in the inside front cover saying that he hated it, which is not rare for a thing that Tom Paul has encountered. But the fact that Tom Paulin hates it endears it to me considerably more than my own reading of it did. I've told you about the time I went drinking with Tom Paul, and have I not? Yes, I'm not sure you've told the podcast. Maybe I haven't told the podcast. What's he like as a, as a drinking buddy? Uh, dour. Yeah? Yeah. Did um, he find it all very depressing? He seemed to be very depressed. <laughs> I can do that. Like he's, he's English and he moved to Northern Ireland. I'm Northern Irish and I moved to England. I figure at some point there's an equilibrium of voice. There must be. No, somebody um, suggested we follow him to the pub because he seemed like the guy most likely to know where the pub was, which I think was also accurate following the dinner we attended. Um, Did it seem at any point like he was trying to drink himself to death in a... Like it, like in an all bar one in Oxford? Oh God, Really? Something like that. That's not it was somewhere. a shit chain pub in Oxford. Oh, God. Christ, there's a picture of piano. You, I don't think so. It might have been. Sort of, really sort of assume that if you're, a, um, if you're a nationally acclaimed poet, that you should somehow, wherever you are, be able to find a beautiful little bar with mahogany tables that will do you a perfect martini. It didn't go quite like that. We had no, another went guy. went to all bar one. Maybe it was a tiger tiger. Oh god, it was a shit What bar. the fuck's a tiger tiger? It's like an all bar one, but in the north. It's not three tigers there, which made those lobster crisps that we had just now. Uh, I could only taste two tigers. Yeah. It was, it was, as, it went as well as an evening with Tom Paul and can be expected to go. Not at all. It was fine. <laughs> I think you went home early. No, I think one of the one of the reasons that Jimmy Corrigan has so much acclaim is that it really falls into that two thousand era white middle aged men have problems fiction. Oh fuck those guys. It's though. it's it's the infinite jest of comics in a lot of ways. Jonathan Franz and McSweeney's and Yeah and That shit, Dave Eggers, fucking hell. All of that. 
Philip Ross. That, that particular moment. No, Philip Ross has been doing it far too long. Yeah. Philip Ross does it slightly more weird as well. This is, True. This is just people having elaborate problems with their families. So I didn't, I didn't find it sort of depressing for the reasons I thought it would. But I found it depressing because I just didn't care about his problems. I've hit a point maybe where I need a break from reading things about existential non-problems. Or at least I want to read things about the problems of people who aren't middle-aged white men. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's sort of where I was heading with that. Yeah, because the thing we have to read is literature and that's entirely about the problems of middle-aged white men. Yeah, that's true. Canons are canons for a reason, because the middle-aged white men keep them that way. If I may. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's uh, sort of where we're, we're getting with this, isn't it? That none of us enjoyed the stuff we didn't think we were going to enjoy. And I don't think it's necessarily... Black holes, all right. But essentially all the sort of the books of the, the old white man canon, which I think I we, were, we were closer to than you were, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. Um, I didn't think I'd disenjoy Mouse. I just had no idea how I was going to react to it. I, didn't, yeah. I had no idea I'd like it as much as I did. But I didn't presume badness. Batman, I assumed I wasn't going to like. And actually, it disappointed me even by the amount I expected to dislike it. And that's just kind of grim because I have very, very low expectations of everything. My mother used to say that you should never hope for anything and then you'll never be disappointed. And I've pretty much taken that to heart as a philosophy, which might explain. We should have a shitty childhood advice off one day because I've got some (laughs) stuff on that level. I was told that the best uh, solution for depression was to buy a magazine and take a walk. My parents insisted there was no such thing as an accident and everything was fundamentally culpable. Wow. That really adds a frisson to pissing yourself. Mm. Apparently accidents are a manifestation of carelessness and I should have always known better. You know, there was definitely some of that going on, particularly around uh, breakages. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I still flinch whenever I break anything expecting to be shouted at, even though I live with someone who's just extremely chill about those things. Well, I think what we've learned is that you don't necessarily need to read the crazy old white man comics canon to meaningfully engage. We've already told people through the podcast and some of the reviews on the site what the good comics they might actually want to read are. We've, in some ways, created our own canon for them to enjoy, which is less old white man-centric than some. Still somewhat. Still somewhat. Because literature, because comics, because publishing, because privilege, because that's how you fucking get to be the guy who's allowed to say something. And also, I'm a 34-year-old white man. That's true. That informs it to an extent. It does to an extent. It does. It really does. Um, Do you have inscrutable, slightly angsty problems that we fundamentally don't care about? No, not really. I'm quite relaxed. Splendid. Good. Um, I I think I I know roughly what my concerns are in life. Um, You don't feel the need to write how I reach that point. What book about it? No, I think I know how I reach that point. What would need to be done to address them? I'd say you're doing pretty well then. That that sounds. How, how does one get one of those? You sit and think for a while, but also have the advantageous position of uh, everything in life being relatively easy for you because you were born white and male in a Western country uh, and also physically healthy. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That sounds pretty good. Uh, and you don't... A, don't. fair amount of that. I think the thing, that, the thing that you have to do then is not assume that any of that carries a moral weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's good advice. That looks surprisingly hard. Yeah, people seem to struggle with that. Yeah. They really do.
They really do. Stop being awful people. And just read whatever the fuck you want. That's that's what we've learned. If you think you'll have a nice time reading it, you should probably read yeah. it and have a nice time. That sounds good. That's That in itself is virtuous. Well, there, there was... I think we've learned that there was no moral heft to confronting our reading shame, right? No. None, none whatsoever. Uh, we've read some... Being in trouble that... is a fake idea. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, Tony. <laughs> and isn't that the best we can hope for? Mm. Thanks, Mum. Reasonably acceptable. Sorry, people. Yeah. Read um, some books. Fuck it. Maybe some comics. I don't know. Have a nice time. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have a nice time and minor surgeries because we're going on hiatus for a month and a half now. Minor surgeries. I'm uh, going to Canada. I'm having minor surgery. I'm just going to be here. I don't need any surgeries or Canada. You can I do just... the podcast on you your own. get some. Get some Canada? No. Oh. Canadian surgery? They'll put a moose up you. <laughs> Why a moose? It's pretty Canadian. Is a hockey player going to punch it up there? It might do. Yes. Maple syrup will be the, the lubrication. Maple syrup. Oh, fuck. You don't want maple syrup down there. That's a yeast infection. Yeasty terror waiting to happen. Yeah. What are you going to spend your time doing? You could do a podcast on your own, just talking about your thoughts, fears, desires. I, I did consider that. As a 30-something white man, that is I thought I might, I might go full Roman Mars and just do a soothing scripted podcast, but then... You could I, talk about a nice window or something. Yeah, like a lovely a lovely balustrade or something, I don't know. You could do the balustrade lanyard podcast. Jesus Christ. What podcast is this? We can't yeah. explain balustrade lanyard, can we? We don't have time. We don't have time. Okay. We're taking a break now. Goodbye, say goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.